You're listening to the Faith Made Welcome podcast, a progressive podcast of faith where we look at Christianity from a progressive Baptist tradition. This podcast is brought to you by Commonwealth Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. So whoever you are, wherever you are, or whatever you think about faith, you're welcome here. Please let us know what you think about our podcast by subscribing to it or by sharing it with someone who may be looking for a podcast like this. And we would love to hear your feedback. So please leave us a comment or question on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Um, welcome to the Faith Made Welcome podcast. I wanted to uh, just give a quick little shout out here at the beginning about this episode here. So this episode that you are about to listen to is uh, episode number seven, which is the third of the three part series with Dr. Graham Walker of Mercer University School of Theology. And uh, we invited him to participate in this uh, this podcast series that we're doing right now on the intersection of uh, science and faith. I know that it's a, an issue and a conversation that a lot of people are having today and one that has been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So we thought we'd take a stab at it and see what see what happens. So we hope you're enjoying it. And again, uh, like I said in the last episode, but not if you didn't listen to it yet, if this is your first time listening to the Faith Made Welcome podcast, I might recommend that you start uh, the series with episode number five, which was part one of the three-part series that we're just going to jump right into here in a second. Or uh, even better, you can start with episode one and catch yourself up that way. But uh, again, this is episode three of the three-part series, and we, we hope you enjoy it. So next week, uh, episode eight is pretty interesting. Because after we recorded this one long session that we broke into three parts, we were sitting around the table afterwards and, and having a little bit of lunch, and a really interesting conversation started to break out. So once we noticed that the conversation was actually fairly uh, interesting, we put a quick halt to it, grabbed the mixer, uh, and grabbed a microphone, and set it in the middle of the table uh, to get it down uh in uh, in recorded format because we thought some other folks might want to listen to it as well so next week is going to be the debrief that we had uh, after recording this uh this long conversation so i want to give a serious and super thank you to dr graham walker for his generous time that he was able to donate to this podcast um, and we really hope that you've enjoyed it so without uh further delay here is episode number seven of Faith Made Welcome, which is episode number three, I should say part three, of the three-part series on the intersection of faith and science. So uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with me for the last couple of episodes where I've been uh, guest guesting on this, this podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it. So uh, take care. Have a great day. We love you all, um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care, everybody. Episode seven. Does uh, human evolution have a particularly special place in the conversation of the the discord between science and faith? Do you think? I mean, it seems like no, uh, no, no topic is one that is more 
uh, insightful of 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 an argument than than that uh, I would think. Um, and you know, I have my own sort of origin story with this this argument that I, I told Robin and Marty and, and Sherry about, where um, I went to a, a private Lutheran high school and, and elementary school, um, and I was taking a science seminar class. And um, as part of that, I had to do a hallway display of something scientific. So I was like, "Cool, human evolution, right?" And the 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 synod big bigwigs were going to come through town to do a tour of the facility or whatever. And it was uh, removed from the hallway display before they before they showed <laughs> up. You know, so we don't want to let people thinking that we're taking these points of view that or we're promoting them that might be against what somebody is comfortable with. I, I think. You know, um, I mean, we have other things on the agenda for later on in the, in the series about vaccines and, you know, all other kind of topics. But this uh, creation evolution thing seems particular. Yes, it, and it is. And it's ongoing. I had a interviewer from a paper in Alabama, um, I guess about a year or two ago, asking me, well, I see that the Cobb County schools are putting in a sticker in the biology books that says that it teaches yeah, evolution. Right. But this has not really right. necessarily been proven as fact. It's only a theory. <laughs> and <laughs> and, she, and she asked me, well, so is this going to be a recurring theme or is this just uh, this kind of time? And I said, oh, no, this has been around for a long time. And yeah, it will continue. Right. Yeah, and, and that whole intelligent design thing was sort of this waypoint, you know, for a while that was getting all the... All yeah, the now the, the the kind of the slides that I have kind of follow that and can kind of show that out. You mm. want me to pop that up there? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah for sure. And we can make these available to, to folks uh, yeah. who are listening so that, as well. That kind of does that. Let me do this. Oh, wait. I think that has to go from the beginning. Okay, there we go. Okay, got it? Yep. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, um, make sure it works. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing debate and I've put together a kind of a continuum that lets you kind of look at it. You see it, this debate played on on the back of cars all the time where you have, you know, you got your dinosaur eating a fish and you got the fish evolve and you got the variety of different fish. But the ichthus, of course, meaning Jesus Christ, God's son, savior is what the, the ichthus stands for the i-c-h-t-h-u-s says jesus christ god's son savior uh in greek and that's also the greek word for fish so that's why the christians use that symbol fish but this is why you see it played out on the back of cars mm -hmm. and you see it all going in we talked a little bit earlier about the conflict independence dialogue and integration stuff and you can see it in american history as it's kind of wrapped around the scopes trial uh, interestingly enough, a lot of denominations built their statements of faith in the 1920s in response to uh, Scope's trial, um, and it was a big cultural event. I mean, it was huge. Clarence Darrow versus William Jennings Bryan. I mean, you're talking you're talking uh, powerhouses in culture at the time. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural event, of course. But this is what I want to show you. These are some of the kind of the responses to that. So believe it or not, there really are flat earthers still around today. Um, there's a flat earther organization um, and it has about 300 members. <laughs> it's in California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they totally uh, buy into the, they have a, uh, a website. You can go to it and see it, <laughs> but uh, it'll, 
they they take a basic biblical model, Old Testament model, and then the geocentrists. You have those who kind of like uh, Ptolemaic kind of view, the idea right, that right. the Earth is the center of the universe and their universe revolves around. There's a lot of kind of biblical references to that kind of thing. But I think the probably the ones that are most impressive in the United States um, are the young earth creationists. And everybody yeah. above that line that you see up there, um, that, that little dotted line, those are young earth people. And by that, I mean, they feel like the earth is between anywhere from six to 14,000 years old. And that's how it would be kind of worked out in a genealogy if you were going from kind of the scriptural and so-and-so begat so-and-so right, begat so-and-so. Right, right. uh, you would come up with just about that number. So um, that's that's kind of how, how they would have put it together. Mm -hmm. These young earth creationists, though, make the argument that you can prove things in the Bible by using science. Now, Paul, that's a different one because <laughs> yeah. what they're going to do... <laughs> is they're going to use science to kind of validate the age. They're going to argue against carbon dating and things like that. Yeah, that's the biblical archaeology sort of take, right? Or is that a sort well, of a Well, a, re a real biblical archaeologist does a really good job of working with the science of archaeology. So <laughs> that's what they do. And they're going to look at cultural. Um, and uh, I've seen some really fantastic cultural um, biblical archaeologists doesn't but it, young earth creationists doesn't it kind of miss the point that um you have to use the right data set for the right research question sorry yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah sorry. you really do and 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 the young earth creationists really want to make the argument that you can use science to prove that the earth is only let's say ten thousand years old. right 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 now you cross that line and you get into old earth creationists right and there you find um, really, seriously, the uh, Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, they kind of made that mark. They made that shift and they said, the, the purpose of scriptures is to show that God created. Now, how God creates mm -hmm. will be discovered with the sciences. The scientists will show us what it is all about. And the seven-day creation story is a parable for the truth that God creates. So the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church can do that because why? What would you think is the reason why they're able to make that strong connection? Robin, Marty? Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you think? Open that up for discussion. I know. Now they're back in seminary. I like, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, we used to do Bible drills where Marty would have to come up with a, what book of the Bible that we were talking about. This is a different one. This is a different yeah, test. Different this test. Is, this right. is this like, is yeah, like test. me at Thanksgiving. They always ask me all the Bible questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my answer to that would be bad. But I, but my my answer is that I I mean, for some reason, Catholics and Episcopalians like seem to leave more space for thinking than some other. Okay, so so <laughs> you're you're on the, a path here. So if you're part of the you know the Episcopal slash uh, grand tradition of Roman Catholicism, then you say the Bible was written by us. <laughs> yeah, we're we're the ones who collected it. Yeah, the tradition and scriptures. Whereas the kind of the break, the Protestant break, was all about 
correcting the tradition by mm. emphasizing the scriptures. So where the Roman Catholic tradition has the ability to hold on to a variety um, yeah. of connections, um, sacraments to the sacred, the Protestant tradition really struggles with that because it's sola scriptura. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah it's by faith in scripture, sola scriptura. And that's meant as a kind of a, a critique of tradition. Mm -hmm. But in so doing, it kind of leaves you in the lurch if you lose the authenticity or authority of Scripture. So well, once you that, start doubting anything in as the as the perfect and true representation of a perfect Word of God, why not doubt everything about it? You know, I mean, once you go down that that path, you know, that slope yeah. goes all the way down to the bottom. Well, and it, yeah. what if that's the only attachment that you have to that understanding? See, yeah. right? So if you only have one, that's that's mm -hmm. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're within a, a sacramental system where you have seven sacraments, even after the Council of Trent, then you have more than one attachment mm -hmm. to the sacred. So the scriptures are important to Roman Catholicism, but not quite as um, as uh, fragile as it is mm -hmm. to the Protestant sola scriptura tradition. Yeah. So there becomes that problem. So what happens then is you have people like gap creationists. They say they'll look for gaps like between mm -hmm. the first verse of Genesis one and yeah. the second verse of right. Genesis one. You have the whole evolution of the earth and then you have the recreation. So evolution took place, but then God destroyed and then rebuilt quickly uh, what had already kind of been evolved. So you have that. That's one way of doing it. Now they're made adjustments. Now you have a basically Protestant Bible believing kind of orientation that made a way for evolution and the scriptures as we have it. Mm -hmm. Now, then you have the day age creationism. And this was the one that I grew up with my mother and grandmother telling me that a day to us is like right. a thousand years, yeah. or two thousand years. And so when you say day, when is a day a day, you know, right? So that becomes the question. So is it really millions of years? So this is an I, a parallel in terms of the movement of science. And, and see, there, there was no cosmos, there's cosmos. There was no right. light and darkness. There's, mm -hmm. you know, now there's light and darkness. There was no, uh, there's waters, there's land. You know, that's, that's how they kind of set it out is it's roughly parallel to science. And progressive creationism becomes the next. Bernard Ram is a famous uh, Baptist theologian who picked up on this progressive creation, so, uh, creationism. He said there are fiats that take place. How do you go from nothing to something? Hmm. There's a fiat. God initiates. How do you go from something to biological life? There's a fiat. And then it evolves in that space. How do you go from invertebrate the vertebrate there's a fiat how do you go from um you know the kind of the building block of the skeletal system that we have to hypertrophy brains mm. you know boom there's a fiat so god doesn't do it in a day-by-day -day fashion but god does do it in an orderly fashion reflecting what you find in scripture but with with um uh, evolution uh, involved so evolution has, but you have, but I mean, Paul, you'll recognize that as having a God of the gaps kind mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it doesn't 
quite work, but it helps a lot of young evangelicals be able to negotiate science and, and evolution in particular and their understanding of, um, of the faith. The last two are very similar, um, evolutionary creationism and theistic evolution. They both argue that God uses evolution, uh -huh. uh, that that's just how the creator creates. The creation does not completely end, but it becomes a part of a co-creative process after the what is the, the, the kind of the initial physical period. Yeah, nat natural selection is built in to God's creation as a process, just like photosynthesis exactly. is just like, you know, just like anything else is. Right. Know? And, and yeah. for that matter, for uh, theistic evolution, you would say even the arrival of Jesus Christ in the world was built into right. the evolutionary kind of matrix. So you go to the Galatians passage and where it says, and when time had fully come, God sent forth his son. So this isn't like a, a an intervention from outer space. This is ac actually more like an emergence from within. Mm -hmm. Or you go to the Romans passage. Uh, it is in him we move and have our being. We find that we move, live, and have our being within God. So you have a kind of an understanding of this is an ongoing process. So it, it brings us to some some pretty interesting ways to negotiate how you relate to your scripture and how you relate to evolution. And those are the key problems. That was the problem for um, Edward O. Wilson's pastor. Mm -hmm. He did not know how to navigate between one and the other. He said, you got to choose. It's either going to be the Bible or it's going to be evolution, but it can't be both. Now you notice on the picture, I do put materialistic evolution off to the side over there under old earth mm -hmm. position. You'll see that. That's just to recognize that that is a faith commitment for you to be able to say that there absolutely is nothing else apart from the material that is, that that takes a faith commitment. And so people like Richard Dawkins, um, Sam Harris and others are making a kind of a faith commitment mm -hmm. um, in that regard, just the same as people of faith are making as stepping out on faith that everything within me has a basic sense of trust that says there is a God. And, and the uh, materialistic evolution, the philosophical materialist would say, no, there is not. It has no origin. It has no purpose or destiny. It just is. So in that regard. The gaps become, be a, or the gaps are a gap in science, not a, not a place where divinity can can sort of reside, you know, right. and, and after enough time, there will be no gaps. And right now, you see some theologians who have studied enough science to know, like Gordon Kaufman, will make the claim that yes, God is within the act of creation itself. Mm -hmm. So, the kind of the evidence to where God is is all part of the of the um, continuum that we live within in such a way that there is no break in the in the time-space continuum. If there were a break in the time-space continuum, we wouldn't know how to describe it anyway, because we use analogy and we use metaphors that we know to be able, and so we wouldn't be able to really kind of give testimony to mm -hmm. it. But God is created within creation itself, um, a very viable testimony to the presence of God. Robin, did you have a reconciliation with this in your history? Have Marty, up... Marty's told us his, uh, his story with, yeah. with his... Well, I um, I think I grew up a lot with the same way that, that 
th- that you heard, Graham, that, you know, I mean, I remember sitting down with my mom and saying, well, what about this? What about this? And my mom saying, you know, what's, what's seven days before there was a clock? Who knows how long this mm-hmm. took and what all happened in between all of that? Um, so that's, I mean, I never really, I was, I was never really taught or told that it had to be either or. Um, and I, I've, am not a scientist. I mean, my focus has been the arts. And so it's not as though like I've dug deep enough in to the science realm of it to really like have some crisis over it. I don't know how the, I'm fine with there being mystery. So I don't have to explain it all. I'm okay with, with this is this, this is this science shows us this. And somehow this all goes together and God's involved in that somewhere. Have you ever changed your mind about anything? All the time. Based on, based on, based on what? Based on what? Oh gosh. Now you're throwing the softball questions. Yeah. That's an easy one. Well, yeah. I mean, I've changed my mind all the time. Based, Um, Based on what? I try and do research. So you're a scientist. Well, maybe. <laughs> so you have to be a scientist to yeah. do science, and you know, you, yes, you know, Robin's a perfectionist, I mean, so she might want to make I, sure that I like the answers. Too. I yeah. mean, if I think about like changing my mind, and if I think about like faith crisis, like connecting all that together, being in art school, one of those for me was was sexuality. Like I'm in this arts mm-hmm. program. I've yeah. got this group of friends that I love and care about, and know that they're good people. I never really learned in church that homosexuality sexuality was bad. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't taught all the clobber passages, but you know, that's kind of what I heard other people talk about. Right. And so I had to try and reconcile that. And I went to scripture and dealt with scripture as best I could at that time. And I tried to find books, but this was like the mid nineties. And there weren't a whole lot of books about that yet. And then the books I knew about weren't textbooks. They were things that you could find at like Christian bookstores. Right. Uh-huh. So right. I try and wrestle with that. And then I went to seminary and I had professors like Graham Walker that like introduced me to other books and scholars. And I was like, okay, like these are the things that kind of started to make sense to me, but I didn't have the validation behind it as some expert agrees, mm-hmm. like, you know, these are kind of things that I'm seeing. And then, you know, people like Graham would help me kind of put those here, read this person. You know, it's interesting. Here, read this. Have you thought about that? Yeah, it's interesting. I've always had really obnoxious questions about this subject, like, just because I like to, I always asked a lot of obnoxious questions um, as a kid, like in youth group or whatever. And then when I went away to college, like I, of course, was in the English department which was mostly atheists, so, like, faith wasn't really something we dealt with a lot. But my husband, then, like, just some boy I was dating, um, he was an atheist and a physics major when he went to college. Um, And within a year of being in the physics program and dating me, I'm not sure if there's a correlation there, (laughs) but uh, he he ended up becoming a Christian, and one. but we explored this debate, like, constantly in the first couple years of our uh, relationship. And it was so interesting how the physics department, I think, actually played a role in him getting more comfortable with this whole discussion in ways that I think is fascinating. So, like, he had a professor who would do all this, like, really complicated math. Um, Physics. I don't know. Um, (laughs) 
And then he would say, yeah, and you see how the math works out. That's the great scientist. And so, like, in the physics department, like, people just, it seemed like there was more conversation that, like, we didn't have to work all this out. We could just trust that the great scientists did work. Right. And this gets back mm. to what you were saying, that you you want the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had uh, this conversation when I was in graduate school with one of the postdocs that was there when we were talking about science and what it's for and what the objective, you know, and it kind of was probably a little more philosophical on a Friday afternoon than anything. I don't think any great conclusions came out of it. But one of these things sort of went into, it's like when when he was doing science, he really, really, really wanted the answer. Um, and that's why he's doing the sciences, because he really wants the answer to these questions. And if you, if you actually sit down, like get a primary research journal and you read it and read it, about 95% of that is not the answer. It's the method. It's the process. It's the, how do you collect the data? How do you analyze the data? What, how do you do with the data? Do you do this to the data? What tests do you run on the data? Do you take these values? Do you throw them out because they're junk? Um, what is your confidence in the, in the data that you have and the result that you get? You know, a lot of scientists, you know, will say that in, in the, the act of creativity in art, in art, artisanal, an artisanal approach to science is, there's the question and you want the answer. So how do you answer that question? What data do you collect and how do you, how do you treat it? In that, I would say the scientist is an artist. In that, I would say uh, that the artist is, is a scientist as, you know, the scientist uses creativity to come up with ways to answer the question. Mm-hmm. The artist, you know, uses a scientific process, although they might not call it that, to, you know, ground truth their own ideas and their own way of, way of being. That's like when uh, we were trying to teach our boys like third grade long division. Like I know the answer is two, but you you have all these other ways of having that the teacher's teaching you to do this. I know how to do it how I taught was learned. Uh-huh. Right. Like, you do that. But they have like five different ways of getting to the answer. And I was like, Joel, I don't know how to tell there, you, man. The two. answer's two. two. There is right. nothing harder than third grade math right I've, now. <laughs> I like that. I mean I had to yeah. I had to fill in for my son on uh, what was it, uh senior statistics and I had graduate level statistics. He had senior in high school statistics. It destroyed me. <laughs> yeah. It laid me out. But no, but there's I love what you said, Marty, because what you're finding is your your kids are getting a, a picture of how to arrive with different right. narratives at the same place. Yes. And yes. that's that's really that's really cool. That's what we're really kind of looking at. How can we listen to other ways to get to the same place? And that's part of this story. Yeah, and that's and, the that's the question. And if we tie this with the creation story again and go back to paradox, it's odd to me that Protestant Christians struggle so much with this because at the very beginning of the Bible, we have two different creation stories, right? right? But they so, don't know. They but, don't know. <laughs> they, they read, they read. You know, and, they don't, <laughs> and they don't necessarily read it. They just claim you should yeah. look at the Bible. Yeah, they read Genesis 1, but they don't read Genesis 2 where it has another. Oh, but they'll tell you that Adam was first. Yeah. And yeah. Eve came out of Adam's yeah. rib. So that it is, they do know Genesis 2. Yeah. But I don't, maybe they don't know that they're two separate stories. Yeah, two separate but I mean, stories. right here. The with, the, with the paradox of that yeah. that's right. right with the with the conflicting storylines that's exactly right that's exactly right this and yet they found home in the text mm-hmm. so yeah. what does that yeah. tell you right. that is a debate that couldn't be resolved so they passed on both <laughs> 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 left it for the next generation yeah, to work with. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, I wonder uh, if uh, if people listening to this might be interested in coming up with their own way to reconcile not just creation and evolution, but how do I reconcile science, science with my faith, especially when they disagree with each other, or probably only when they disagree with each other. What, uh, how would one suggest that someone actively does this? Mm. So, I mean, if there was, uh, you know, since I come from an academic background, I would almost say homework assignment. I sort of <laughs> want to do that. But I mean, we all know of something that you know, I, th I think if there is a person of faith out there that says that um, they don't have, they, they can't find any disagreement with their faith and with science, they, they might not be honest. Um, how does one start this investigation where you feel like your your soul is not being threatened by even asking the question? Because, I mean, that's one of the approaches that I would I would take is like, I'm not going to tell you that I'm, you know, that, that faith, the faith-based answer is the right one and the science-based answer is the wrong one. I'm going to tell you that you might ask yourself why you're even asking that question uh, to begin with, you know, that it's it's an affront to, to even consider, consider, you know, uh, the realm of disagreement. Uh, what's the homework in this for someone? What's the what's your suggestion? Uh, I'm looking just around, yeah. <laughs> not knowing who I'm actually asking here. Well, you know, but you know, there there are people listening to this, and this you know, um, this argument's been kicked around. This science versus creation, evolution versus creation, kind of science versus evolution thing, uh, whatever. And uh, where do you start? I, you know, part of me wants to suggest that people start with being suspicious of siloing um you know like one of the reasons paul and i work together i think is because we got suspicious of siloing so like he teaches biology and i teach intro english like clearly there's nothing in common right because the the academy is so focused on siloing and telling us how we should focus on our differences but then the more he and i like actually spend time thinking about like well, what are you doing in your class this week like we're we're now co-podcasting for yeah, our co students because it turns out we, we have more in common than we have different. Um, and so, like, part of it is, I would say, be suspicious of siloing and stop fetishizing difference. That's what I would say. And I would add to stop siloing, just be curious. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, there's... And, and that that curiosity should should be a vibrant part of a faith life, right? Because God is is filled with wonder and awe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with Graham talking about you know the space shuttles and and uh, constellations and seeing planets like that that mystery and wonder of creation is is astounding. Mm -hmm. um, and it does seem like attributing any of that to God would invite curiosity and wonder and asking questions. Um, and I'm that that's a beginning, right? To, to allow yourself to ask questions and to wonder and to dialogue with people and maybe people that aren't exactly like you. Um, there are some authors that I, you know, like Graham can probably give us, well, he already has given us like a bazillion like scholar scholars to read, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
before all this started, Marty was went to Sherry. Sherry likes to write show notes, like all the, all the, the show books notes for this and authors <laughs> referenced. And Marty was like, hold on to your hat. Graham's <laughs> just going to like, stuff's going to spew. Um, <laughs> so we're all trying to keep up with all these people that you're referencing. But like some really like... And by the, all, you mean the Enneagram yeah, One yeah. is the only person who... <laughs> like Because I, I was thinking, yeah, Robin. Sherry we're wrote down one thing. I have a page and a half of notes. <laughs> Robin is clearly the better student here. My, my notebook is my cup one. But like I would say like some I'm not grading, I'm not grading. Good introductions to that is I think Brian McLaren is a good introduction to that, right? He's a Christian who thinks that writes in a very pastoral way. Um, he believes in creation care and that's very important to him. So he he references science. Um, Mike McHarg is another one. He has a podcast that I think they just did the last episode that's called Science Mike. Mm. Um, and so he is a, a, an atheist, a Christian who became an atheist who is now a, a person of faith again. Um, that he's, he's fascinated yeah. with science. So, so that, that, that's a place where those worlds bridge. And I guess my take would be, um, coming from a person who grew up everything black and white um, just be willing to go into the gray and navigate the gray Mm -hmm. when things don't make sense I think Lonnie Rich said in one of our Bible studies one time he's a church member he's one of our (laughs) church members he said the art of living is in the gray it's Mm -hmm. like we're always in the gray with something and that's the art of living is to find navigate and um, and it's not putting up your defenses and like I'm going to prove my case so that your case will be wrong. It's where did you get to that place mm-hmm. and how, how did you get there? And it goes back to the story and the narrative of how we come to this one place. But it's, it's allowing ourselves to step over into the gray and not the black and white and just, just setting up camp. And just living through that. And boy, the Bible comes alive. Oh my gosh. When it's no longer a rule book, but it's a place like to dig and ask questions, right? right. That that's when it gets exciting. It's not exciting when you're just looking for the the rules. Yeah. Uh, but it gets exciting when it's like, whoa, it says this here and it says this here. These don't go together. Why 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 did these people write this right. in different ways? Right. Why so was the story told in different ways? Yeah. Why does Jesus do this here and do this here? And why does he look so different in these two gospels? And and it's so much easier to to preach the narrative than it is to preach, you know, all the rules that Paul laid out for churches. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate yeah, preaching right. the epistles. Right, I right. hate preaching the epistles because it's just like letters with instructions and I find it kind of boring. It's like, how do we get to the same narrative when you're telling us how to do that? And it's like, where's the story? Where do I put myself in the story? It's much easier. Is the hesitation for people to step into the gray, the fear of not knowing where you're going to land if you do? Yeah, I think oh, yeah. so. Right? You don't, you don't know where you're going to end how, up. How deep you... does the rabbit hole go? It comes back to doubt, doesn't it? Right? Like, <laughs> like, if God is really the God that we think God can be, can't God handle some doubt, some questions, some curiosity? I think we 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 get anxious, like, oh, if I ask too many questions, maybe I'll find out. But maybe not only can God handle, but maybe God likes it, right? Like as a parent, 
I love it when one of my kids asks a really interesting question that shows that they're they're thinking about things and trying to put it together. And even if it's a, well, if I can't see God, is God real? Like, ooh, that could be a scary question, but it's exciting. Like you're thinking, like you're thinking spiritual stuff. Yeah. That's good. I remember a moment thinking like, if God didn't want me to be so curious, why did God make me so curious? Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Like, right, right. Hmm. Well, and that really it's not goes, a design flaw. That go, if we're talking <laughs> Genesis and creation, that goes right to Genesis three and like what we call the fall. Right. Right. Is that a fall or is that human curiosity? I mean, if somebody told me not here. to eat the apple, the first thing I'm going to and do it's going to give is me knowledge. Yes. Like, and share it with your friend. <laughs> yeah, <something. laughs> it's like, even if it wasn't God asking you to eat the apple, right? right with your right, boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be in the corner by myself. I want to be there with somebody else. Right now, misery loves apple. Try the apple. Try it. Try it. So, yeah, Terrence McKenna used to say this, you know, in, in a slightly different context-ish. Um, you know, come up with new and creative ideas, and if they're if they're true, if they work, if there's truth to them, if there's wisdom in them. They can stand up to a little bit of punishment. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not to be treated with kid gloves. They're to be abused and punched and kicked and 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 and, and threatened. And if they truly have merit, they will survive that. Mm-hmm. They'll survive that. Mm-hmm. If science can stand up to scrutiny, then yeah. surely God can. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the really kind of important things to remember is that it's a dialogue partner. Even somebody you're having a conflict on the other side. It's a dialogue partner. This is someone whom God loves and cares for and has a real story in themselves. Learning how to be able to open yourself up and hear that is an important act of spirituality. Douglas Kelly talked about that. Listening to another, uh, it it takes an enormous amount of spiritual discipline, but yet it draws us into a narrative where we're not in a plot. We're not being, we're not just the same person going through different circumstances on any given day. We're actually drawn into a storyline where we as protagonists are taken on a journey and we'll come out of this journey completely different on the other side than we, than we started. It's a conversion story. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The only way that happens is that you engage someone else, trials and tribulations, and make that transition take place. So those thresholds that we cross can only happen if we're able to listen to someone else on the other side. And I find that just a fascinating Mm -hmm. thing about science. It grips me. I love all that is exposed, everything that it's brought to the human species in terms of the gifts and even the dangers. I feel like I need to be aware of what those are. And the only way to do that is to engage with someone and a whole field that uh, can take me in new places I've never mm. been before, mm. recognizing that uh, it's my spiritual um, responsibility. Yeah. And that those are still exciting questions to me, too. Um, as you're saying that, it made me think about back when I was in seminary. And, you know, it's in seminary, you, you know, faith gets deconstructed and then reconstructed. And in that whole deconstruction process, Oftentimes when I would would read things or or listen to lectures, I would ask myself, like, is this something that I need to know? Is it just something I need to know as a minister to be able to minister to people who are at different places? Or is this something that can come a a part of my faith life? Mm. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's an, an, an open way maybe to hear those differing stories and get out of the silo is maybe this is just something that I need to hear so I can be a better friend to you. Yes. But maybe this is something that could become a part of my faith life. Oh, yeah. um, and and if, if I'm asking those questions, then it's not necessarily a threat to hear something different because it's not something that's assaulting me that I have to take in. Which is it? Is this something that helps me be a good friend? Or is this really something that, that's going to become a, a part of, of me and change me? Mm-hmm. A long time ago, um, John Bunyan talked about it. He said, it's a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Your friend, uh, Glenn Henson. Oh. I took his I took his class as uh, Classics of Christian Devotion um, from him many, many years ago. And that was one of the themes that keeps coming up over and over again, is the real Christian experience is a growth experience. Mm-hmm. Once awakened, it takes you on and on and on throughout your life. And that's an important part of it. There is no growth or change if you live a plot. Mm-hmm. But when you're that's drawn good. into the storyline and you're drawn into the conversion story, that's never ending. Maybe a little disconcerting, but it certainly is um, an intriguing, enjoying way to live a deep spiritual life. But I think that's why uh, we have a problem with that, because once we feel like we become a Christian, that's where the story kind of. Ends. We've sort of arrived. You we've know. Kind of, we've yeah. arrived, right? Yeah. We've like, arrived. So we've made that the destination as and, opposed to like the beginning of the journey. And we're waiting for the pearly gates stop, now, yeah. you know? Um, and we we kind of miss the whole... Oh, that's sad. Well, That's really like an anemic faith. It is, but I, I, but I grew up like that. Yeah. Like I grew up like that too. I mean, I grew I mean, up like I wanted to go to heaven because I didn't want to go to hell. That's why I became a Christian. I didn't want to go to hell. And it wasn't like... <laughs> finding my place in the storyline right yeah i mean for me it was you know believe and baptized and you're saved it's like well i was baptized and i was like a month old so check (laughs) (laughs) i've arrived believe i guess you know so it's like awesome yeah done you know and there's nothing left to do there's no really there's you know my my faith requires nothing more of me doesn't ask anything more of me than that and if that's your faith, I think that's not doing something that I think I or maybe others might be looking for. I think yeah. faith does ask a little bit more of you. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. Rachel Hell Evans, um, in her book, Searching for Sunday, she describes her process of growing up in conservative evangelicalism and leaving that behind. And then she describes kind of, so her deconstruction and then her reconstruction. Um, and she ended up coming back to faith as an, and, and finding a home in the Episcopal church. Um, but there is a, a wonderful quote in that book that I'm going to mess up, but she, and she's talking about doubt and how doubt and wrestling and all that stuff is good and belief. And she ends up asking is somebody about, Maybe, maybe she's telling a story about a friend of hers who asked her minister dad or something about faith and do I believe enough? And the response was like this, the story of Jesus is a story that I'm willing to wrestle with and risk being wrong about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not that it just has to all kind of fit together and you just coast right after baptism. Like this is, this is, is a story we should be asking questions about and wrestling with mm-hmm. and have enough of that doubt to say, 
this is this this is a story I'm I'm willing to risk risk being wrong about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the critical part: is you reserving the right to sort of adjust your yeah adjust your way of thinking mm-hmm. in light of in light of that wrestling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. I've Dr. enjoyed Walker. it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I Thanks, Dr. Walker. <laughs> I'm glad we had the uh, the literary scholar in the room. Man, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. We thought we were going to have a we thought we were going to have a science and faith conversation. We had a, a narrative. A narrative. A narrative story. Everything is narrative. Well, it's you know it's interesting. Kind of yeah. I always tell people. <laughs> kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. English studies is probably the most promiscuous field there is. We steal from everyone, right? Oh, yes, um, we do. So we use, <laughs> we use physicists, we use faith tradition. We like we will use anything, um, anything. So it does not surprise me that I worked my way in. Yeah, I thought that before because yeah. it's like, you know, I'm stuck in my class talking about biology. Sherry gets to talk about like literally anything that she wants anything to. Anything and everything. Like, yeah, that's right. I'm so, I should have I been an English major. Mm-hmm. Okay, when theology about. gets to do that too. Yeah, we yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw that in there too. So yeah, yeah. I marginalized myself with my choice <laughs> Thank goodness, some scientists marginalized themselves enough to get the work done. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you find ways to break out of your little silo in your biology. Yeah, class, but I mean, what friend. I what I hear so often in my biology classes, what are we talking about this for? This doesn't have anything to do with biology. Should we be talking about amino acids and DNA chains and? <laughs> proteins and all that and it's like just hang on we're getting there we got to talk about the nature of truth first so yeah, we'll, we'll get <laughs> to that later we'll get to that later yeah i mean yeah that's all the scientists who meditate makes that's sense to happens. me yeah yeah so let's focus on our breath for a while uh thank you dr walker this was fantastic um i really appreciate it yes we appreciate your time we're glad that, that this group got to meet and we're very yeah. excited that we get to like our whole church now gets to meet you yeah, and yeah, now we get to share the Let's write a book on this. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Definitely. Cool. All right. Take care, y'all. All right. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye, Dr. Walker. Bye. <laughs>